so long and thanks for all the fish. Welcome to Tell Me Why I'm Wrong, the internet's favorite podcast about why Sophie and I are wrong on the internet. With uh, fish. Now now new improved and with fish. Now with fish. Because uh, <laughs> what podcast doesn't need fish? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm Amos. I'm, I'm one of your co-hosts. And I'm Sophie, the other one. Yeah. 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 Um, and we're so excited to be doing our fish theme very final episode of this season. Yeah, this is this is the the wrap up episode for season six. So three, uh, sorry, yeah, season three, episode <laughs> six, season three, episode six. But yes, wrap up for season three. Yeah, uh, we don't have a like a, a bonus episode planned like this we did for season one. This is kind of like a yeah. We were just talking. This is sort of like a, a little bit like a regular episode, a little bit like a bonus episode. It'll be a little looser than a regular episode, but not maybe not quite um, like a, a bonus episode. But but you know, so the, I guess the 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 big news here is and why we're sort of um, wrapping everything up here is that I'm I'm going on paternity leave at some point in the not too distant future like i don't know within the next week maybe um so we kind of need to stop here but i don't know i mean i'm not going to be working for the next few weeks and babies are not very time consuming so maybe i don't know who knows maybe we'll get together for a maybe we'll get together for a bonus episode i don't know well we'll we'll see what happens and we'll no, keep yeah, everybody no, posted no commitment yeah no commitment. let's not get ahead of ourselves i i think that's very reasonable and i shouldn't have said anything about that. I'll, I'll cut all that out in post Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No one will ever, but we're really excited because we our theme of our episode is um, fish sex. Well, sure. Um, specifically, the H.P. Lovecraft uh, novella um, "Shadow Over Innsmouth" and the Guillermo del Toro film "The Shape of Water." Yeah, which so- are sort of in conversation with each other, and we're gonna we're gonna put them more in conversation with each other, and we're gonna we're gonna be. Amos and Sophie in conversation with each other. It's a yeah. four-way conversation. And it's also, you know, pulling stuff together from, like, our original homework episode mm-hmm. uh, from season two, as well as, you know, two episodes ago ago when we did the segment on, on Lovecraft. So we're going to kind of pull those two things together. And all those times we've talked about Gamro del mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, let's start off talking about Shape of Water. Oh, uh, just before we do. Yeah. Guys, it is, if it wasn't totally obvious already, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled discussion because yeah, so I have gonna no be other way of talking about movies. It's going to be so spoiled. It's going to be like a fish stinks from the head. Spoiled. Come on. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amos, I really want to know how much you liked this movie. Like, did you like it so much? Did you love it? Did you halfway love it? Like, I can't imagine that you anything but really liked it. I would say I, I halfway loved it, but it's also been just like like Guillermo del Toro movies do for me. Like, I, I often don't love them on a first viewing, but then I mm. just find like a week later that they're still rattling around in my brain mm, mm-hmm. and I have to go back and watch them again. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And and I would say I halfway loved this one. Mm-hmm. And Like and on a scale of one to Pan's <laughs> I would say this is like, you know, I would say definitely like a tier below Pan's Labyrinth. Is it? Um, do you love it and, as and much as about, Pacific Rim? 
What's that? Do you love it as much as Pacific Rim or more? I would say not quite as much. Okay, but I love Pacific Rim. Okay. Like, I, I wasn't sure. You know, we did the whole segment on it. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was good. But, but you love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I would put this like above Crimson Peak. I've not seen that one. Um, that's like a gothic romance mm-hmm. sort of movie, um, mm-hmm. which I've only seen once. So maybe I need to see that one again. It didn't. That one I didn't find rattling around in my head so much, though. Mm. So I never went back to it. Um, yeah. So um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, how much did what, what did you think? How much did you like it? I mean, just yeah, like. Just so we can get the conversation yeah, going. Did you, I mean, did you like this movie? I wanted to love it. I was like really enchanted by it, especially at first. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be so magical and great. Um, but in the end, I, I just ended up really ambivalent about it. And probably for some of the same reasons I'm ambivalent about Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Not so much the historical reasons, although like I maybe have like a small complaint in that department, but mostly just like... I I don't know like I'm not I don't love the sadism it's just like mm-hmm. I feel like he keeps on setting out to make a movie about like a good woman and he ends up making a movie about a really bad man because in truth that's sort of much more what he's interested in I I don't know like huh, so I, and I haven't like talked to anyone about this yet so all these all these thoughts are extremely fresh but no, I thought I, aesthetically I it was beautiful although yeah. derivative like I was like what is this? Just like Amelie splash and the piano mashed together in like a in a fish blender? Yeah. Well, so uh, that's interesting. I didn't think of the piano, but um, I think I think that was a little bit of my reluctance. Like, obviously, Del Toro is a is a um, he's a a filmmaker who likes what he likes and has his particular obsessions and i think that's that's part of what i love about him but i'm i'm a little worried that they're starting to become ticks and you know partly this this movie felt in a lot of ways like a little bit like a a mishmash of of pan's labyrinth but then with abe sapien from the hellboy movies i do like abe sapien very much. i like abe sapien and i like the fish man very much sure but it's just I found like, him charming. He was quite charming. Uh but you know, I like I couldn't it's not just that he's a fishman like Abe Sapien. He's a fishman like Abe Sapien who eats hard boiled eggs like Abe Sapien mm-hmm, does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like something that specific where in, in Hellboy where it shows up and he's actually eating I guess in, in Hellboy he's eating rotten hard boiled eggs. That's it's sort of like this weird detail, but then when it shows up again that you've got this fish man eating hard boiled eggs, it's sort of like, wait a minute. But maybe <laughs> like, he's the same kind of creature. Maybe that's just what they eat. I mean, sure, maybe like maybe the shape of maybe water takes place like, in the same world as Hellboy. Yeah, uh, and he's just like the great great grandfather. Or I guess he wouldn't be that many greats. It's only like nineteen sixty. Well, Abe Sapien was found in a in a tube underneath a hospital dated like april 14th 1865 whatever day lincoln was shot that's why he's named abraham oh right okay yeah but like even to go like a little bit deeper uh in the hellboy comics by mike mignola there's a story about abe sapien where you know he they find him underneath this hospital in this glass cylinder Mm -hmm. um and they bring him back to the government lab to study him and they're going to vivisect him. Um, and then Hellboy intervenes and ends up saving him. And then mm-hmm. they become friends. Mm-hmm. But it's just... Um, 
uh, yeah, I guess that just, I was like, I you know, kept thinking about that story when I was watching Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, like, uh, and it's like, it's one thing for a, a story that's sort of like obviously derivative to be, or, or, or like where it's not about the, the premise. Um, then there's like lots of other things to enjoy, but this like was a premise that's so, you know, kind of remarkable and out there. And then to sort of like keep running into ways where it just felt derivative was a little disappointing. So that's interesting. I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, my impression, and I haven't done a lot of reading about this at all, but like what I seem to know is that del Toro, this is sort of a story that's been under his skin for a really long time and it's been coming out in different ways. I mean, he talks about like being a kid and seeing the the creature from the black lagoon and, and all this. So like that, that I think I I don't mind that at all. Um, but I, you know, uh, there were some, there were some parts that I felt were sort of, um, homage to other films those some of those i was really kind of joking about splash although it does have like a a splashy feel but 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 aesthetically and then this you know this young dark-haired woman who has this strange little apartment and this strange routine bound life who also is best friends with a weird old painter right and the and the color palette is so it's just like so um and and the music too Mm -hmm, right right right, so this is a score by so so i I, can i talk about the score a little bit yeah sure or do you yeah, so no, so the score is by Alexandra Dupla, and who's a a great composer, but uh, he's never done one of Guillermo del Toro's movies before, mm. and it's his style seems like a real departure to me to the sort of music that del Toro normally has, which mm. is usually very sort of dramatic. It's usually very beautiful and very dramatic, but this was sort of light in a way that uh, that I think he doesn't usually do um and i i found that made the tone a little bit hard for me to get into and, oh that's interesting i sort of liked and, i sort of yeah, liked but the tone it, yeah and and this again this may be one of those things where it's just like oh this is different from like this is a different tone from mm. what del toro is usually doing and it, it may have just put me off a little bit hmm. um but it did it did feel Amelie-ish, like a little Amelie-esque. bit like the Jan Tiersen school. Yes, and, yeah, and yeah. Amelie with a lot of like uh, sort of waltz time numbers and mm. um, I don't know. It felt it sounded very French to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I wanted to be drawn in by it, and I was. I mean, right from the first moment, I thought there it was. Well, the, just I mean, that beautiful. opening is, is the pretty opening magical. is is really yeah. magical, and the character. There's so many characters to sort of decide to like. Um, but I felt like it ended up so nihilistic, like so oh. often happens, like all, everybody's dead. I mean, the number of people who bite it is really, I was not expecting that, but I should have been because it's, I mean, that's, I should have been. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't surprised or put off by the body count per se. It was violent. I I don't know. It was gruesome. There was there's too much it was gross. I I that's where I always end up. It's like yeah. it's just too <sighs> um yeah. He just really seems to like the those moments of like extreme painful bodily harm and yeah. I just like I'm just I'm not interested and I don't see what the point of it is. It seems totally self-indulgent. Like, do you really have to have a guy get shot through the face and then like fish hook him with your hand and drag him along well, the thing? I mean, so, yuck, I mean, man. it's a it's a, I mean, that's like a little bit of a visual gag. I mean, it's gross. Ugh. 
it's gross, but the idea that like he's fish hooked, like that's the I know, but Dimitri, man. <laughs> I like Dimitri. Although I have to say, like, part of me was like, okay, so like <laughs> like it's just this confluence of all these well, whatever. That's a separate issue, but yeah. Like do we ha- do we have to have like Soviet spies and like every uh, just was layers so well like so dimitri i mean i think yeah i think you do need soviet spies i sort of liked that aspect but i didn't want him to be shot in the face sure i mean he was he was a very nice guy for you know as as soviet spies go as far as soviet spies go he was but i think i think you need to have the soviets there and for them to be bastards too sure um otherwise it becomes a movie about like how America was bad in the Cold War rather than about how the Cold War was bad. Do you think it's a movie about how the Cold War was bad? What's that? Do you think it's a movie about how the Cold War is bad? I mean I mean not really, but I think I think having the Russians there sort of universalizes the like the people can be bastards thing. I, I liked that he sort of was like completely, he didn't have to be filled in at all. He was like, I don't know who you're working with, but the guy's waiting for you in the van and the loading dock, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I, I love well, that. Well, because he's sort of like, I mean, he's disobeying his commanders. And we're talking about Dr. Hofstadter, is that yeah. his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's disobeying his commanders at that point because he's sort of, you know, responding to the quote unquote humanity of the, of yeah. the monster. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really nice. I do too. I have to yeah, say, I though, like, the. I like that character a lot. I like him too, and I like I like Zelda. I like I mean, although like a little part of me was like, oh, okay, like I wish that she could have a role where she doesn't play like a cleaning woman. I mean, <laughs> like, and there was a part a part where I think it was yeah, like, Michael know. Shannon's character calls them the help, and I was help, like, title, like, oh, title, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, that made me but, laugh. I wonder yeah. if that was intentional. I don't know. I'm sure it was. It must have been. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But but I guess like. And we're talking about Octavia Spencer's character. Octavia Spencer, who's always, I mean, like, she's wonderful. Um, But I guess I wondered, I don't remember the name of the guy with the rotting hand, the rotting fingers. What is his name? I can't remember his name either. Michael Shannon's character. Yeah, I guess I just, I wonder why he has to be such a sadist. Like, does he actually have to be, like, a sexist, racist, sexual predator, like, uh, uh, like, guy who gets off on pain like you and know also like could... kind of a religious bigot right oh yeah totally. i mean the thing is it's just weird i mean i i guess i just I... wonder why he can't just be a bureaucrat it's Does like all ha- all the sins of of mid-century yeah. white male americanness are like concentrated in him yeah, dumped on poor michael shannon and to, it didn't seem for. i mean certainly we talked about this when we talked about pan's labyrinth that there's a kind of uh, nihilistic sadism at the heart of fascism so it makes sense that the cap the captain or the commandant or whoever he is is yeah, it, captain it, it embodies in, embodies in all of that labyrinth. yeah but like yeah. there's no reason i was thinking this and i know it sounds so dopey but there's no reason that this particular bureaucrat couldn't have been like tom hanks and catch me if you can just sort of doing his job you know it doesn't he yeah. didn't have to be like i love zapping the fish man with a cattle prod you know and like my my hand is literally rotting out while I like have really unpleasant sex with my wife. You know, like there, I don't know. It seems yeah. to me that Del Toro was so much more. Ultimately, he like he got much more interested in the like rotten heart of that guy than in any of the other characters and the and even in the relationship between um, Eliza and the and the fish guy. 
you think he's more interested in 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 the sort of degeneration of the villain yeah kind of that's interesting i don't know if i would agree with that but um but like why does he have to be so bad why does he have to be so bad and i guess it just makes me think thinking of like the lovecraft bringing in this idea that there's like a preoccupation with degeneration and rot it sort of made me wonder like why this was such a it just felt like the focus of the movie was being wrenched away from this like sort of fairly sweet um like tender connection between these two and and pulled into this like sort of like the, the I mean he's literally like he his hand is like literally getting Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so right. So I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Pan's Labyrinth where where part of what he's doing, I think he, he did it in that movie and he's doing it here is monsters that are humane and humans that are monsters and, well, and right. that's just and that's even in that's the sort of just like part of his thing in the yeah. beginning where the the narrator the friend is like uh let me tell you about the monster that tried to destroy it all and you're like yeah okay that's obviously going to be a person not right. not the actual monster like yeah, we get right. it um and yeah you know uh what am i trying to say here I think the thing that made that character work for me was the relationship with the general. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's where we see him. That's where we see his vulnerability. Yeah, is in that relationship where where he has this anxiety, the status anxiety, and we can see that to some extent he's he's all those things that you mentioned because. He's like part of this brutalizing system. Sure. Um, and and he's being brutalized by the people above him who are, you know, taking advantage of his need for approval. Yeah, sure. Uh, to, to make him do monstrous things that they need done. I guess. I still felt like he went for much further in his enjoyment of doing monstrous things than was necessary. I mean, right. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, but that was that was the scene. That was the scene, especially mm-hmm. when when he's like he's screwed up. The monster has escaped, and he's like, and he's asking the um, the general for decency, or he says, "I'm a right, decent yeah, man." Or yeah, yeah. He's like, he's right. like, a decent man would have the decency not to f up. Fuck up. up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I, that that scene. Yeah. I, well, so. So one thing that I think is interesting about this movie, I think you get a little bit of that in Pan's Labyrinth with Vidal, mm. the captain, and it's you don't ever actually see it. Um, it's you just you get it when he talks about his father, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and what a hero his father was, right? And, sure, and he you can see like, oh, his father was a son of a bitch <laughs> mm-hmm. who who probably beat the hell out of him, um, and you can see how he's he's like identifying with his father and trying mm-hmm. to live up, but but has this like deep sense of insecurity that he'll he'll never live up to his father. Um, so I I think um, yeah, and I I mean another another similarity obviously between the two of them is is the way that they become physically disfigured over the mm-hmm. course of the the yep. movie as a representation of them becoming more and more monstrous, um, where. Um, uh, Michael Shannon's fingers turn black and he tears them off. Oh, it was uh, too which gross. Which was gross. Which was, was super gross. gross. And, and Vidal gross. gets his, uh, Another... his cheek cut. 
Yes. Another sews sews it up himself. Gross. But another sort of um, visual reference to the piano where, right, uh, Holly Hunter's character has her finger cut off. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, that last scene, the very last scene, is like visually very similar to the very last image in the piano. Hmm. Maybe we should do an episode but on the piano sometime. The piano has a much happier ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's... Uh, let's talk about the ending. There's, there's, so this is the part that really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I just, I'm, I'm going to make a quick note because there's something I'll, I want to come back to. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the ambiguity of the ending is what actually made me frustrated with the movie because, as I said, I was really enchanted by it. I really wanted to like it. As I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is so good. This is going to be great. Oh, look, all this is happening. I'm so excited. But it sort of like, you know, starts to fall apart for me because it gets really brutal and I get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the end, I mean... I don't know about you, and maybe you can convince me. I would actually love for you, you to convince me that the ending is happier than I think it is. The ending is happier than your... I don't believe oh, that sorry, Eliza is alive any more than I believe that Ophelia gets to become a queen in the underworld. So interesting. So I had the exact I just, opposite reaction. So I, I understand. Like, she's, like, there's been these hints all along that maybe she's some kind of fish person too, but not very many hints. Like, I was thinking maybe there would be more, like she gets in the bathtub and she has a tail or something. But no, it's really just those, like, slashes on her neck that are, you know, explained as scars or whatever. She's, yep. like, found by the river. It's funny. I, I totally, I, you know, I made the association between the scars and gills, but just thought it was going to be like strictly like metaphorical, you know, it's like, oh, she has gills too. I was waiting for her to become fish like the whole time and she never did. So I didn't didn't see that coming. Um, Yeah. And so I guess I just feel like here's what I think actually happened is that she dies she's basically sacrificed for the life of her lover the fish man and that it's her friend who's again name i don't remember uh, giles um yes giles who's telling the story right from the beginning right he's like what would i say about her and then at the end he's like what would i say i i would say they're in love i would say you know and but like that last image right before she sort of wakes up and they're swimming together or they're holding each other in the water she's pretty dead like her shoe is half off another thing with the piano but like her shoe is sort of hanging off and i sort of thought like no this is just him telling himself that perhaps something magical had happened she's able to be healed she's able to live under the water she somehow is a fish princess or some something but i don't believe it i think she just is dead and I'm not comforted by that in any way, shape, or form. I find it really unappealing and frustrating. So it's funny. I I I find the ending of Pan's Labyrinth quite ambiguous. Really, I think she's just dead as a doornail. Just dead, 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 dead. I, I find that very. I, I find that ending very ambiguous, and it's part of what I think is so moving about it. Because at the end of Pan's Labyrinth, I'm like, I want so much for her to be alive. Sure, and in I, some magical place. Yeah, and I want to believe that that's what happened, but I'm I I don't I'm not sure that it, it, it like is that I don't know if that's just my like, and it's it's a little bit crazy to be thinking about this. Like I'm not sure if that's what actually happened or if that's just like my wish fulfillment fantasy because I feel so empathic toward this girl and everything she's she's been through and that's sort of what the movie wants you to feel right i mean it sort of wants you to have that tension there yeah i think yeah yeah sure sure and i feel convinced i'm like yeah sure in interviews he said oh no she's definitely alive i see Uh, (laughs) but i mean whatever that's like interviews that's that doesn't really matter it's it's what's on the screen Mm -hmm. that matters 
Um, whereas, but with I think this, the movie wa- makes you want to believe that, yeah. even if you're not sure you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this movie, I, like I watched, it, I was like, oh, huh, yeah, no, he, the the fish man saved her, and they're gonna live underwater happily ever after now. And I was a little disappointed that the ending wasn't more ambiguous because. Because I thought it was very clear that just sort of what you saw was what happened. And afterward, I was thinking, like, wait a minute, but no one saw that. Like, Giles right. is telling you the story, but he didn't see shit. He was up and there. they don't swim away together. I mean, she's sort of just like she's sort out. of immobile, right? I mean, she's not really. It's not like she. Yeah, I mean, they're sort of embracing like they did in the bathroom. Right. Um, I mean, I guess the other thing I would say though is that, you know, we do know that the magical fish man can heal people. Yeah, he can, and he can like make hair grow on your head when you're bald, and so he can make he a little a scratch hairy. go away. Yeah, but <laughs> but but I feel like she was like shot with bullets. So mm. I mean, so was he, and he heals himself. So yep. I guess, meh. but I don't know. I just I felt like I was I was like, no, oh, you know, Ophelia is sacrificed for her brother, and now Eliza is sacrificed for this fish man. I'm just sick of it. Can like somebody just at least get a happy ending? Who's a woman ever well um um uh mako in pacific rim okay you're she's right. straight up she's straight up lips she straight up does that's true yeah no ambiguity there no. um she's alive damn it mm-hmm. it's a miracle <laughs> uh yeah okay i mean you know uh yeah yeah, no, I thought I, I just I just kind of took it as it was. You took it. And I and I think that's okay. Like I wish I could. I just I found it it was too close a call, you know, and there just wasn't enough there wasn't enough that happened after that that made me feel like I could really believe it. And maybe Like we didn't see a, a, their domestic life underwater. Well, now I would have liked that for sure. But even just <laughs> Where to she's see them, bringing him breakfast and he's reading the the soggy That would have made me matter probably. <laughs> <laughs> That would not hey, have done it's it the, for me. It's the early 60s, you know. Tr- yeah, okay. Traditional gender roles were a powerful force then. Even in the fish world, though? I mean, I don't, you don't know. know. I'm just joking. But, but you my, could have, my, like, my, underwater mad men. Even if she was, like, they was, she was swimming away more, like... I see. Something you know, more active. Yeah. Yeah. And and really, it is sort of like Giles who's telling us this. And yeah. That's Which what I he think would it, want to have be the case. Totally. Totally. And and we know that he has this sort of escapist fantasy yeah, sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, like he's he watches all these old movies and mm-hmm. these musicals. And, you know, when Eliza tries to watch news about um, civil rights protesters. Right, being right. He doesn't want to see it. Yeah, he can't watch it. And he's always um, saying, like, I think this is my best work. And, yeah. you know, it never is. And yeah. Yeah, and he he really misreads even just like he's so optimistic about that pie guy that he sort of has a crush on, yeah. and he's really optimistic about how that's going to go, and then that, that guy turns out to be a double ass because he's homophobic and racist. But who's surprised? I guess I don't know. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I actually read the the pie guy as as gay. But... Oh, but like but like closeted and freaked out. Yeah, yeah. I see. Okay, interesting. Hmm. I mean, there's obviously so much in this movie, and it is really immersive and beautiful. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted it to be something that it wasn't, but maybe it was never going to be that thing. Probably not. What? So you wanted it to be, like, 
Amelie with a fish man, but without <laughs> without Michael Shannon. Because there's no Michael Shannon in He could Amelie. be, I want him to be. I mean, there's, be... The poor, there's the poor guy that she tortures, which is one of the problems I have with that movie. <laughs> I mean, the guy's oh, a jerk, yeah. but he doesn't need to yeah, be no. tormented like that. No, that movie is French. It is. That is like one of the Frenchest moments in that movie. I went, the, the summer that that movie came out, um, I had a couple friends who, who went crazy for it. And they 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 loved it, loved it. And they kept going on about how they were going to marry Amelie. Um, neither <laughs> Are of them these people did. I know. Spoiler alert: neither, neither of them did. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, one okay. of them you definitely don't. One of them you've heard of, but I don't think you've ever met. Him. Okay. Because another one of our friends from college really hates that movie with a passion and thinks it's like thinks Amelie is just oh, really? the worst. <laughs> anyway, I didn't see it much later. I really disliked it for a long time. I, I like it fine now, but um. I like it. I, I was in Greece that summer and it was playing in a theater. I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, I'll watch it." They do they have like outdoor movie theaters around Athens, which is really cool. You can just like Fun. you just hang out outside and watch a movie. Um, but then I was like, "Wait, the subtitles are going to be in Greek." Oh no! Yeah, and my and my French is not not good enough for that, so I didn't. I like that movie. I think it's fine, but it, I mean, it's not it's not a perfect movie, but it I is but not. I like it a lot. Yeah, I like. It um, a lot. But, you know, I do I do think it's got a lot of similarities with this one. But this one has more um, more uh, bloody sadism. So much more. Probably like 5,000% more bloody sadism. So, again, Amelie has, definitely has psychological torture. Yeah, but it's like a minor. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What else do we want to say about? Oh, yeah. So I the note that I wrote to myself to come back. Mm. So... There's, I think there's this interesting trend in villains lately mm. um, of of villains who who very specifically represent toxic masculinity. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's clearly a thing that's going on with uh, Strickland. I looked it up. His name was Strickland. Oh, that's his name. Okay. Yep. Um, where, you know, the scene where we meet him is in the bathroom. And the first thing he does is, like, lay this cattle prod, this giant phallic yeah. cattle prod across the sink. And then he pees in front of them. Yeah, without touching his weenus, just with his hands <laughs> on his hips. Um, right. And just, just to point out, he washes his hands before he goes to the bathroom and not right. after. And he uh, has a whole speech about that. He does. It's it's not like an oversight. He, he's thought about it a lot. But um, <laughs> but that's the sort I of I confess thing, I never have. Um, yeah, no. Meaning, I mean, it's just like uh, Joint Commission would not look favorably on that. Like Who's they really Joint Commission? The Joint Commission, they, they accredit healthcare facilities and, and ah. they really want you to wash your hands yeah, sure. uh, after you touch your weenus. So if anyone's <laughs> wondering about that and they're coming up for uh, their joint, joint Commission accreditation is coming up. Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely wash your hands after. Yeah. But so this Strickland, he's all about the toxic masculinity. Like, sure. That's his thing. Um I, uh, Kylo Ren from the mm. new Star Wars movies. Mm. Uh, I think he's like, I think that's like his thing. And, um, basically all the bad guys in Mad Max Fury Road. That's like very so that's much a critique of masculinity. So I'm not sure what to make of this, but. This seems like though, can I just interject? Those are, so- sorry, those just real quick. Those are four movies directed by three characters in four movies all four of them directed by men where the the villain is like 
represents a critique of, of masculinity. So I think yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's super interesting. And I would agree with you. The only thing I would say is like, I was going to say that it feels like the um, a depiction of quote unquote toxic masculinity from a male point of view. And I guess the only thing I can say about that is that it's so um, deliberately nasty and cruel. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that like, for me, I mean, I was very uncomfortable with the character. I didn't like him. He made, like, I was anxious. I didn't, I, like, obviously he was effective. Like, he's a, he's a really effective villain. But there's that moment where, like, things are getting more and more tense. It's a really intense, like, things are heightened. The escape plan is sort of in place. And that's when he threatens, he sort of makes these, like, sexual threats towards yeah. Eliza. And that's a moment where I was like, we're just doing this for the drama. Because in... In the life of a woman like that, I would I would venture to uh, to assert that a woman like that and a man like that that doesn't that kind of threat doesn't just happen when like the plot thickens. It happens all the time. Like that would just be a boring regular day, right? Like a guy like that, or you know, in a power dynamic like that. You know, I think <laughs> I, I really do feel like if this was a movie I was writing, or or, or if it was a woman writing it. That that threat would have happened in the first five minutes and been repeated throughout the movie. Like hmm. it felt sort of like a a deployment of like, oh, you thought he was bad. Guess what? He's really bad because he might even be rapist bad. But it's like for masculinity that's toxic in that way. It's just it's just workaday boring stuff. It's just all the time, and that's what's toxic about it. So it sort of felt like it was played for effect. And even though it was very effective, and like I said, I was anxious and uncomfortable. I was sort of like, yeah, this is how it works in the movies, but it's not how it really works. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's just my two cents. I mean, the same thing with his like weird anti not weird, but like his sort of momentarily deployed anti-Semitic comments and his like racist comments. You're like, oh yeah, only when like things are getting heightened does it like become like the curtain is pulled back that he's like such a bad guy. But I feel like that kind of, if we could like, you know, like the banality of evil, right? Like that's like out there right from the start. I guess, but I feel like it's played for drama as opposed to just, well, as opposed to being just like a fact of the world. Yeah. And a fact of him. Yeah. And also like some people who aren't like sadistic villains also turn out to be sexist and racist and homophobic and anti-Semitic, right? Uh, yeah, like that's true. That's, the, that's kind of the sad part about it. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I wonder think that's just, about that's that. just a different kind of movie though. Yeah. But, but you were pointing out that like, this is something that seems to be like, it now is sort of part of the construction of villains that they have these, these, these particular aspects and i'm sort of saying yeah and they always read a little like cartoon scary mask to me sure i mean i think i think i'm not recommending you watch this movie because i think i don't think it's the movie for you but i think Mm. one of the things that makes mad max fury road interesting is that it's actually not about like it's not just that the villain represents toxic masculinity Mm. it's that the entire society depicted in the movie is like infected from top to bottom with with toxic masculinity. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I mean, I've heard that it's like in that way a really feminist film. This is what well, I've Eve, heard. I don't Eve know. I haven't Ensler, watched it. Eve uh, consulted on it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there definitely are like feminist critiques of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it involves rescuing basically like a group of models. Um, <laughs> which, which uh, is like, okay, it's like the, the beautiful women need to be rescued, but everyone else is like, Eft. 
<laughs> I don't know, maybe, you know, there's, there's a little more to it than that, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's called Mad Max Fury Road, but in the movie is story, the movie is sort of told from Max's point of view, but it's not really about him, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's really more, yeah. much, much more about, um, uh, what's her name? Charlie's Furiosa, Charlie's Theron's yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. It's really much more her story. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but yeah, it's definitely about like, not just like individuals. It's about like a whole society that is organized in, in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is super interesting. Super interesting. Mm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about this movie. So is it going to rattle around in your head for a while more? Do you think you're oh, going to go back so. to I it? Mean, and... I'm, I'm going to definitely go back and watch it again. Um, and, you know, because I guess with a, a movie that I've anticipated, there's always, I always have these problems with expectations. Were you really and excited then, and like, then it wasn't good? as good as you Was wanted that? it to be? You were really excited and then it wasn't as good as you well, wanted it to be? Um, sometimes it's hard for me to tell the difference between something that wasn't as good as I wanted it to be Hmm. versus something that was just different from what I expected. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I, I was just doing a lot of, um, yeah, just doing a lot of comparing with Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth and Mm. just being like, oh, okay. Um, and you were totally unspoiled, right? You hadn't even seen any trailers. I had not. I'd seen posters and mm-hmm. I knew that they had fish sex, but that was I feel basically like all I knew. If you had seen the trailers, it, you would have had a sense of the aesthetic and it might've not been quite so surprising. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does this connect to shadow over in Smith? Well, it's really the fish sex. <laughs> That's where it comes, comes down to, <laughs> but she has like consensual and sensual, like, like loving fish sex yeah. and it seemed like in shadow over insmith the at least like the uh like the suggestion is that it's like some kind of sexual violence right they have to like sacrifice all these children not children like like underage but like like it's sort of like a minotaur situation right they have to like send mm-hmm. these young people to intermarry with the fish yeah and the townspeople who don't go along with the fish sex plan end up getting all killed right right and yet at the very you know even after like 50 pages of like terror and i like was so scared and these people were so repugnant and i can't believe them like in the last paragraph the narrator's like and i too shall become a fish one day right totally changes two episodes ago we were talking about you can you see all the the twists coming a mile away in hp lovecraft i think this story is the exception yeah yeah this one I did not see that coming, and it's all there. Like all of the all of the hints are there. Yeah, they are. But um, but still, it's much more. It's much more masterfully done. Yeah. Although I will say, it's a fifty-page novella that, like, I think really, like, he could have done it in about twelve pages. Probably true, though. I got to say, I, th- I still think it moves better than most of his stuff. Yeah, and I it mean, actually it has just... like some real like. I hesitate to use the word like action, but sort of action sequences. Yeah, where that's he's being when he's trying to get fish. out of the yeah. hotel, and yeah, which yeah, is pretty yeah. pretty taut. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who haven't read it, it's a it's about this this guy from the Midwest who's visiting Eastern Massachusetts, uh, just as like a, a coming of age tour, and and this is where his mother's family is from, and he he just he's passing through the area and he ends up in this town of Innsmouth that where everyone no one else likes the town because the the people who live there are weird and look weird, 
Um, and it turns out that that's because they've been breeding with fish people from. And they have like a weird religion. Yeah. And yeah, they, and yeah. It, yeah. They worship their and, fish gods. Or is it Cthulhu? Do they worship Cthulhu? No, no, no it's okay. Dagon or something. Oh, yeah. So Dagon, yeah. that's actually, uh, is he Sumerian? That's I like a. Know. I think that's like it was like a Sumerian or Babylonian. But originally, fish god. it come the the fish people like come from the South Seas. It's like all yeah. this business about yeah. And I mean, it's totally like Dagon it's another is an one of his like Mesopotamian, Assyro Babylonian and Levantine or Canaanite deity. Who's a fish god? Sure, from yeah, the East. yeah, um, right. Which is not yeah. the same as like Polynesia, but you know, yeah. it's another it's another round of Lovecraftian racism, right? Like oh, it's all yeah. about like these these. You know, and it's never clear whether, like, you know, he talks about alienism, right? So, like, breeding with sort of the foreigners. But then he's also worried about inbreeding. It's like, well, which is it? You know? <laughs> like, uh, and there's all this madness there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, like, some of it felt very much reminiscent of The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked, you speculated before about the idea that, like, a lot of what happens with people who... Um, are inspired by Lovecraft and like, and his aesthetic or his um, strategies, but have really different politics. They sort of like borrow what they want with, and then like reject the rest. And I feel like in some ways that's the case here, but I would have liked a little more than about Elijah's parentage that like, maybe she actually has some sort of like fishy DNA and that's, what's going to enable her to follow her fish lover into her new life in the water. But I mean, you know, you were saying that you felt like that was pretty well established without really explaining it. Like that she was found by the river with, I thought it was going to develop into something more than just a kind of aesthetic motif. And I didn't feel like it did. Like I, I wanted more like evidence that she was really fish tastic. Okay. (laughs) But but it reminds me of the I forget the name of the guy who's the narrator of Insmith who are he's like yeah, he's he's name. tracing his whole kind of lineage and right. and it's the opposite of being an orphan right like Eliza is right right but he there is like some sort of mystery or something because his his his, his mother changed her name or something or someone yeah. someone changed their name his great grandmother came from somewhere weird and no one's sure and like obviously she's a fish person yeah <laughs> <laughs> um. So this this is the story, like, you know, talking about Lovecraft's racism and his, like, fear of outsiders and stuff. Like, this is this is the one that I feel like sort of captures that sort of visceral disgust. Because um, there's, you know, the way he depicts it. There is, like, something really gross about these fish people. And, and, yeah, for sure. And the, the, the degenerate fish sex that they have. <laughs> um, and and these people, yeah, this these people being sort of um, like someone, you know, there's Obed Marsh who sort of invites the fish people in and um, and like everyone else ends up being sort of subjected to their predations. Right. Um, and there really is something pretty horrifying about it all. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think I think that's. I think I think it's it's a a great depiction of his emotional experience around race hmm yeah except for at the end the guy just totally is like i'm gonna live forever under the sea with my like crazy fish relatives and he's totally fine with it so i kind of feel like but we're meant to be horrified by him being fine with it 
I guess, but I was like, okay, right. he's coming to his senses. Like he stopped being <laughs> such a fish racist. He now is like, okay with under, he's like, he's accepted himself and he understands that like his, you know, his, 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 his feelings of, of, of disgust were really just a lack of ability to accept bigotry. himself. Yeah. yeah. It was just bigotry. And now he's got his cool tiara. <laughs> He's going to wear it on his fish head. It's all going to be okay. I mean, isn't that, I feel like kind of like that's a little bit what like Del Toro is saying is like, what if we just like liked the fish and it was okay right. and we could go under the water too. Right. Fine. Oh, so you're part fish person. That's cool. Like go find Excellent. yourself a fish lover. You have like a special like secret fish penis that they have a conversation about. Yeah. Yeah. Which I found like, I was a little disappointed. I was like in the first like four minutes of the movie, we see like all of Sally Hawkins, like front For and real. back. And we don't see any fish penis. Like he's naked the whole time and there's nothing. He's Smooth like a Ken doll. Like hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, oh yeah, there's like a secret penis. And you're like, oh, uh-huh. Sure. So sure. It, can we, it's always a secret penis. Do you want me to stop saying the word penis? So no, we, so I just, our, our I just podcast think, will be clean. No, I just, um, no, I'm marking it. It doesn't matter what we say. I'm marking it clean. Uh, <laughs> no, it's is it better if I say weenus, it, which is what you said before. It's I'm just, we, we get our title for the show. It's <laughs> always a secret penis. That's the name of our episode. Well, I mean, I feel like it's a strong contender. <laughs> I thought we should call it So Long and Thanks for All the Fish because it's our final, you know, it's our final one of the season. We're going on hiatus and it's a Douglas Adams reference. Some people like that. Colon, anyway, you were going to say something. <laughs> you were about to say something interesting. I could feel it. Mm, mm-hmm. What was it? Well, I don't know. Mm, was don't it about fish or sex? I don't know. Roll the tape sex. back. It's about Sally Hawkins' uh, nude scenes and the lack of real penis. Oh, maybe. I mean, it's true. You see her naked a few times. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, like... No, it's not bad. No, it's, like, I mean... Another another thing, another aspect where the piano tops this 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 silly old thing. There's uh, quite a lot of Har- Harvey Keitel in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess... No, I guess... Michael Shannon, when he has sex, he's not really naked, is he? No, you just see like one breast of his wife, and then like kind of his. And butt then she like above. keeps her shirt on when they do it, which is always weirds me out in movies. Yeah, for real. But like, it's I'm so sure typical. it happens in real life, but it happens way more in movies than in real life. Way, more, I mean, almost always in movies. Yeah. Anyway, it's you weird. were gonna say. Um. Oh, I guess I, I think that's one of the things I actually really liked about about Shape of Water was. Um, that it wasn't just romantic; it was like mm-hmm. sensual. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we know from like again the first five minutes that that Eliza has like a, a sex life of sorts that's associated with water. Yeah, yeah, right. Because totally. she's yeah masturbating in the bathtub. Right, five minutes after waking up and while boiling her eggs, which I did find like slightly unrealistic, but okay, I'll go. With I thought it, it was hilarious. <laughs> um, I have a question. Yeah, with Do her egg think- timer going. With her egg timer going. Do you think that this, like, okay, do you think there's a connection between the the rise of the ta- toxically masculine villain and the, the new staple, which I could do without, of the, like, awkward, unsexy, uncomfortable sex scene also in movies Ooh. and TV shows? Say like, more. I just feel like it's all the time. Just, like, I don't know. 
I just feel like in every movie, there's like some not very likable character who has some really not very likable sex, and it's supposed to say something about oh, who he like is in the world sex. or something. But sometimes hmm. he's not villain a villain. Sometimes he's just sort of like a like a douchey guy, you know, and or or like or just like I don't know. I'm not. I, this is not a fully formed thought, obviously, but it's it's one of the things I like not so much these days. And hmm. and I thought, you know, it was like by contrast, right? It was sort of like he's the real monster and she's having this sort of like transcendent sensual experience in the bathtub with the fish, man. But I get it. But like, I don't know. Those things seem related somehow. Uh, Probably. I mean, in, in this movie, in Shape of Water, I definitely think they're related because his awkward sex is, you know, one of the things we see is, is you know, if it wasn't clear, his need to dominate um, you know, the way he's like holding, touching his wife's throat and, and then puts his hand on her Right, he doesn't and, want her to make any noise. Yeah. Even though she's like, your, your gross hand is bleeding. Yeah, right. Which was, that was gross. It was gross. The whole thing with his hands were gross. Yep. Uh, Did the fish bite the fingers off? Is that what I happened? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kept thinking maybe like it would be some weird redemption scene where the, the fish man would heal him and his hand would be okay. And then his heart would be healed. And then he would realize that he was like just a sad little boy and everything. would nah, be fine. Man. I don't know. Fish, fish man cut his throat. He really did. Oh, um, Oh, it was gross. I don't want to see that. I don't need that. I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't have a, like a good overall statement about uncomfortable sex in movies. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is that like, I'm not sure that it's a big trend lately more than it has been. Maybe it is. Well, in the last, let's say like five to 10 years for sure. I feel like it's a staple. And like some of it, I think is just sort of like, we want you to know that we're not afraid to be edgy and show this. This is like HBO sex. Right. I think that's where it like maybe originates or something. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah. Yeah. mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just say that that sort of thing is can be can be fraught, uh, like trying to use sex scenes to make statements about uh, misogyny can be mm. it can it can be done, but it requires a uh, it requires a steady hand. Uh, yeah, I I don't feel like this is one of the things that like is um uh like reliably able to do that. Yeah. It, it it often feels more misogynistic itself than a critique of misogyny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, in, I, I would, I would even, I would just generalize that to, um, I think, I think that's sort of a general problem with films making critiques. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know the the have you ever seen um full metal jacket not voluntarily okay so like the first half of the movie i've been like in the room while the movie is on and i'm like avoiding it yeah no i can't imagine you would enjoy it Mm-mm. but the the first half of the movie all takes place during you know basic training and um there's this really abusive drill instructor um who ends up getting killed by one of the one of the um i think they're marines um who like finally snaps after being abused by this guy for weeks and weeks um the actor who played the drill instructor just died a few days ago hmm. and um the US Marine Corps like tweeted out 
condolences and something about like how that movie like made so many people want to be Marines. Whoa. And it's like, if you, if you know, uh, I mean, that is not what Stanley Kubrick was going for in that movie. <laughs> and like any reasonable person would watch that movie and be like, this movie is not an endorsement of the military. Right. Like, not by a long shot. Yeah. But I, I had a friend, uh, I had a friend from school who joined the, um, Marine reserves right out of high school. And they were like hanging out watching apocalypse now, like cheering when the helicopters attack and like blow up mm-hmm. this Vietnamese village. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, you're missing the point. I think that's true. But, I think, yeah. well, I guess I mean, my, I think my point is that with... like, like the point will be missed. Yeah. And, and, but isn't it so much the case that that's like, I, I don't know. I feel like that is so much true of like depicting violence. Yeah. Maybe it's just that... violence. It may not. Yeah, I I would definitely endorse that, that like that by depicting violence in certain kinds of ways or even at all, it's very hard to make a critique of that violence and that critiques of violence actually like in art, in in works of art, critiques of violence are more effective when they don't actually show violence. Yeah. Or or when they show something about the ineffectiveness of violence or something. Yeah, maybe. I can't think of something. I I can't think of an example. But but yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think oftentimes. Well, I don't know. That's yeah, I mean, thought. I yeah, I used to have a lot of thoughts on this subject around like the movie Natural Born Killers, mm. which is like in some ways a, a critique of like media sensationalism around violence, while mm-hmm. at the same time very clearly being a very very violent like media um, mm-hmm. creation. So, well, dude, I mean, they made movies and then they made a theme park of the Hunger Games. So, like, I kind of feel like the oh, that's you know the, like the cat was out of the bag a long the time ago. <laughs> Wow, Katniss and fish. Okay, hold on. Just the cats in the movie. I mean, is that oh, like an elf? Was that was that like an elf reference? What ha- I mean, and it, he ate its head, and uh-huh. it was gross, and it was, was a bloody gross. stump, and I didn't like it. I was I was really I thought it was lovely that Giles was like, you know, it's not his fault. I thought that was sweet. I was afraid he was gonna like turn against him and it was gonna be bad. But also, I didn't need that to happen. I I appreciated that greatly because um I think it just sort of like kept you from domesticizing the the monster but, the but then man. he was petting the the cats afterwards. Yeah, right. I mean, he sort of like realized what he'd done and much as you would probably pat a cow on a head and then eat a steak. But I I just I like that it sort of like reminds you like no, this is like we don't really understand this creature and it's not it's not just a human being who looks like a fish man. Yeah. So, but what, I but, like but what, yeah, I guess. But then like, what, what, what is the role then of like a violence in the movie? I mean, because, because there's that moment where is it, is it, um, Zelda who's like, what are you going to do? Like every time we go to the, every time we go to the Chinese restaurant, you're going to like, want to, want to befriend all the fish in the tank. So like, yeah. it's obviously not about like, it's not about, uh, about nonviolence it's about recognizing the humanity of some of this one creature but like being like it's totally okay to eat the heads off cats and cut people's throats and shoot them in the face yeah right i mean i think i think that's really clear and it's the same thing and again in pan's labyrinth where the the partisans at the end they catch vidal and yeah they you know he starts making this speech about you know tell my son x y and z and they just shoot him before he finishes talking yeah um and the movie is clearly endorsing that like yep Absolutely. Shoot the fascist. Well, but the um, thing that's interesting, and we talked about this, but like with Pan's Labyrinth, like one of the things that's just true. Hmm, okay, so one of the things that's just true is that like 
in in this in the Spanish civil civil war, um, and also I think in this is true of the like partisan fighting in Italy between fascists and anti-fascists. It, it's just true that both sides do unspeakably horrible mm-hmm. things physically to one another. Right. And even though fascism enshrines those things as part of its ideology and anti-fascism doesn't, both sides do do it. And so it seems right. like a, like it's being deflo- deployed somewhat effectively in that. But I don't, I don't, I'm curious what you think. I mean, like, I don't know what I think about the role of violence in this movie. Hmm. And, and, or like, you know, and even of defiance, because there's that moment where like, I was worried that Eliza was going to like give herself away because she gets a little cocky and she starts yeah. like saying F you to the, to the guy. And it's like, oh, don't, don't get mad now. Because right, you're gonna, cool. you're, losing, you're losing sight of what's important, yep. and it almost goes to hell. But but then it doesn't. So I don't know. I just wonder, like, is this just Del Toro being self indulgent because he likes he likes to play around with this these themes, or does it say something coherent if you if you work it through about violence? Yeah, and like harm, violence and harm, and like and like people being bad to each other. I think. I mean, not to sound like too squishy about it, but I think I think the like the worldview or the the ethos represented is like one where you know people should find solidarity and community with each other, but that there are some people who want to dominate and and destroy that community or, or dominate mm-hmm. it, and um. Sometimes they just need to be taken out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he does seem to be comfortable with that. I thought it was a little, like, I wasn't sure how I felt about, like, right, that last scene where Eliza and the fish have, like, they're in the water and it's unclear exactly what's happening. But it's, like, it's the black woman and the gay white man who are sort of left standing and they're shoulder to shoulder and they have some solidarity with each other. Mm -hmm. Although it's unclear what they would really think about each other if they really knew each other. Because they only sort of know each other through Eliza. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously it's like full of things to think about. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a very it's a very rich movie. It is. It is. Uh Hey man. Oh, my f- computer started falling asleep. Oh no, wake up. It's awake now. We're back. Okay. Do do we have anything else to say about Shadow Over and Smith? I feel like we we moved over that real quickly. Um I mean, the only thing, I, I don't know that I have much to say about the story, although I agree with you that it's, like, it's one of the better ones, just sort of at, like in terms of its sort of pacing and tension and that sort of thing. Um, but, it, you know, I still, you had said a while back that you felt like our discussion of Lovecraft's racism had sort of obscured the discussion you hoped we had about his his sexism and his sort of like um, like feelings of disgust around sexuality. Did you want yeah. to say anything about that? Because I think there's some of that here, although not right. as much as the one with the incestuous father creature with all the legs. Oh, the Dunwich, Dunwich Horror. Yeah, I'm glad you knew which one I meant yep. in my description. <laughs> and it's it's there's another one that I didn't that you you haven't read. I think it's called The Horror at the Museum. Mm. where there's like i think i I haven't read this one in ages but i think it's like a like a statue in a museum of this weird horrific monster that was found in alaska uh surprise surprise it's it actually is a weird horrific monster that was just asleep or something and it starts eating people Uh, but it's just like the the description of it 
with like you know tentacles and weird orifices is just mm-hmm. like so obviously um uh sexual and like mm-hmm. oh like oh this is a guy who's just like really disgusted by genitals and right, the idea and of people touching them against yeah. each other yeah but you know it's interesting like i i i think i said this before but i continue to be sort of intrigued by him as a person and i would love to read a short i don't want a long one but like a short biographical study of him by someone who's like not so sympathetic to him but also not so not like oh this guy's just like useless right i mean like someone who has a kind of like middle ground critique but but somewhat some some sympathy because he does have this sort of weird love affair and he does get married and he does Mm -hmm. like you know there are these like moments but then it doesn't really work out and i just i'm curious about him i mean obviously not all art is a reflection of somebody's psyche in a one-to-one way this this does seem like sure pretty like close it. to yeah. the brain pan though. Yep. yep. And I feel like maybe I feel that way about Del Toro too. That it's it feel. I mean, I, again, I don't know anything about him or his psyche, but it does feel like these are all the things that are in his brain, and they're just like what's coming out now on the screen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a, a couple things about him. You know, he's from Guadalajara, Mexico, but mm-hmm. grew up with his this, parents are Spanish, right? I don't think his parents are, but he grew up with around expats from Spain who fled the the civil war. Um, He, you know, he's talked about having experiences of like seeing monsters when he was a child. Mm. Um, uh, I think especially like at his grandmother's house who was like super, super Catholic. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he kind of grew up with all this like, yeah, like traditional Mexican Catholics and plus all these like socialist intellectuals from Spain. Mm. Um, and then just like got into monster movies and stuff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So like it's it's all kind of there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I guess, matter maybe this goes to what I was saying about references, and I sort of was talking about how um, I think this is in the last episode. You know, references work best when they're sort of well digested mm-hmm. um, or assimilated into something. And and maybe maybe what you're saying is that like he is sort of maybe you know they're not. Like his his influences are in some ways not thoroughly digested. So that's interesting because when you said that last time, I totally agreed with you. And now I kind of want to say the opposite, which is like I would prefer not 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 in a clumsy way, but I would prefer references to come with some kind of visual citations. Like I was annoyed. I was like, you you're just. I, I was like, you're just stealing from Jane Campion, and I don't feel good about that because that's a really interesting, oh, important see. movie. And you're just basically like, I'll just like take all these like visual quotes and slap them around and like kind of give give no credit to this movie that I'm obviously borrowing from. And maybe it's because I'm dealing with some plagiarism among my students, but I just feel like when you borrow, it has to have a little bit of homage and a little bit of respect and a little bit of citation. And I don't feel that enough. So it's almost like hmm. he's he's digested it too much. He's like, Oh, I watched all these movies and I read all these things and I looked at all these images and like, now they're just rattling around inside of me and I'm just going to spit them out on the screen in my own way. And I'm not going to worry about where I got them from. And I don't know. I kind of want a little more worry about where like you got them from, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Not that mm-hmm. I, I accuse him of plagiarism in any way. I just, I just feel like when you have so many like nods to other things that like, I'm not, you know this i'm not a super movie buff i've like watched like 17 movies in my life you know but like if i'm picking up on like two to three of them in this movie alone or four you know like clearly they're pretty they're pretty good reference like they're pretty 
they're references that are pretty easy to pick up on. And so I kind of want right. more acknowledgement, you know? Yeah. 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 But I mean, he's obviously super talented and it was a fun movie to watch. And it was obviously extremely effective because there were parts where I was like, I don't want to be watching this. I'm too scared. This makes me feel too many feelings. So <laughs> it's like, clearly it's a good movie or an effective movie anyway. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, we should probably stop it there. We probably should. So, um, hey everybody, thanks for having a season with us and we're going to, we're going to hopefully come back and do more seasons, but we're not totally sure when. So, um, so just like hang in with us and, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, the show it's, uh, T M W I W wait, what is it? T M W I W podcast on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at uh Amos Worth. Uh you can go to the website, um TMWIW dot net. Uh you can hit the contact form there. Let us know what you think about the show. Um yeah, we that's want people it, to ra- rate and review us on that's iTunes. It. Do we still want people to do yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rate do. and review us on iTunes like you used to. Yeah, like back in the that day. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so until until season four. Uh, until next time. Have fun out there. Be good, everyone. Yeah, not, Be good. Aw. Uh, yeah, don't hurt people like uh-huh. Camera Dotoro. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, bye. Bye.